0: Hello everyone, this is Eavesdropping at the Movies, I'm Jose, I'm Mike, and today we have a special guest, uh, Lee Kemp, uh, who is one of the major local producers in the Midlands, and we are going to be talking about uh, Widows again, Uh, and the reason for talking about it again is because I just think it's great, you know, and... The first time I saw it, I thought, I've really got to see it again and just pay more attention to the visuals, right? Because I think the first time I was quite caught up in the narrative, uh, but I knew that the film had more to offer that I wasn't quite grasping. And then of course, kind of Lee Online was equally Uh, interested. So we decided to kind of go together and hash it out once more and bring in a a reluctant Mike, who Who I think didn't quite see a reason to see it a second time. Damn right I didn't. Uh, uh, But who
1: perhaps (laughs) has changed his mind?
0: Perhaps. Well, let's see what Lee thought first of all.
1: So why were you, Lee, so keen on um, seeing it again?
2: Um, Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, And I I really enjoyed it the first time around um, and I think along uh, much the same lines as you Jose uh, I felt like it it deserved uh, at least one more viewing um, and I think probably more as well and um, it's the sort of f- film that appeals to me in a lot of ways I remember when I first saw the trailer um, you know months and months ago uh, and I was uh, I was not particularly interested in it um, as a I thought it might be you know Friday uh, uh, I've been scrolling through Netflix for an hour and a half and can't decide what to watch and I just kind of give up and watch something that requires no brains I thought it was going to be that kind of movie yeah. then I saw it was directed by Steve McQueen and I went of right okay that yeah that should be interesting uh, if nothing else Um and so watched it really enjoyed it thought there was a lot more to it listened to, to you guys talk about it and not entirely agree uh-huh. um, and, and I was just really interested to kind of go back and revisit um, you know just a lot of the thematic stuff uh, I think it's exquisitely structured and one of the things I kind of um, particularly took away from this viewing was was just it's just full of tiny details tiny uh, thematic callbacks bits here and there that, that um, such as um, so when Viola Davis's character Veronica um, goes and sees Colin Farrell, um, what's his name? Jack, somebody.
1: Uh, Mulligan.
2: Yeah, Jack Mulligan. Um, and she says, "When's the last time you saw my husband?" And 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 he answers like a politician, even yes. though he doesn't want to be. He says, <laughs> "Before he died, it was ages ago." <laughs> and, and and it's that it's technically true and no. technically a lie at the same time. Yeah. And it's it's just it, yeah, I thought it was full of like just those tiny little touches here and there I, Yeah, I,
1: I thought it was mm. great and Mike what did you think on the second viewing well uh, as you said I was reluctant to revisit it because I just I felt like I'd got the measure of it the first time really and I felt like it was just a film that I didn't particularly get on with although I respected it mm. um, I did like it more the second time It wasn't due to any of its visual qualities or anything that you wanted to revisit it for, I don't think. Uh I didn't see I mean, that shot in particular that you talked about where uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character is being, sort of fading into the... the uh, um, uh, the sort of lights reflected by the window. I thought... <laughs> oh, see, I, but,
0: thought, I, 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 thought, I, know, I thought I know it you was love as it. beautiful as the first time,
1: but, and as expressive. Um, and I saw many more shots like that.
0: Actually,
1: but what, what uh, I, one I I saw in it this time that I didn't particularly appreciate as much as I could have the first time um, was the structure. The brilliantly structured, and there, there is there is purpose and kind of more than one meaning to everything. It's an incredibly efficient script um, that it gets all sorts of meanings out of simple things and, or, or maybe not dual meanings but dual purposes. You know, Everything is kind of operating on multiple levels in a way. Um, Can I interrupt for
0: a second? Because I think one of the things that makes this film so interesting is that it's taken almost the opposite trajectory of what you normally expect. When you normally expect A film to have had some kind of cultural impact or just to be old or whatever and then 10 years later 20 years later it gets turned into a a tv series for hbo or netflix Mm -hmm. right that's kind of the usual pattern and this is the opposite right and i think it's really interesting because you know the more time and space you have to work on something kind of you can you can give it more space right and there's a focus on narrative but the more you condense yeah uh you know you have to kind of render poetic right you are actually kind of condensing information so every little thing has to kind of work on multiple layers right yeah, yeah so 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 i thought this was interesting you know that something that can work as an extended narrative all of a sudden you know has to be kind of rendered poetic to work at all yeah it's got to. I don't mean to sound too, you know, to say poetic as in, you know, making it fancier. Right? No, I know what you mean. I just think the form, you know, yeah. kind of film form, when you when you have to kind of convey a world and a story and a theme and everything in 90 minutes, things have to symbolise, they have to work on
1: different levels, right? Well, uh, I don't even want to go overboard on the multiple levels thing, I know I said it, but, um, I mean, even things as simple as just making every line of dialogue count, mm, you yeah. know. Um, like, for instance, the scene, the scene that kind of struck me was the one where, Viola uh, um, Davis goes to visit Elizabeth Debicki when she's uh, sleeping with the guy, uh, and then and th- they only have eight lines of dialogue between them, maybe, but every single one means something, and they all talk about something different. So there's a, a great sense of kind of focus and purpose to it. And um, I think I, what I think I was wrong about the first time was I talked about it being slow, and I think it's it, it, it's one of those things where when you go back and see a film a second time, it does feel shorter. It always does, because you know what to expect. Well, It could feel longer if it's not good. Actually, I suppose had, it could. You can have either experience of that. Well, t- typically for me, it tends to feel shorter because I know what to expect and so I understand... Like When I, when I don't know what's coming up next, it mm-hmm. can sometimes drag because I don't really know how the, how the kind of pacing works or anything. But having the picture of the entire film in my head, mm-hmm. I, can, I can see how things are going. And so... Uh, So it it felt tight and short, and and, um, that shot in particular that I I picked up on the first time is kind of a stunt, one of of Steve McQueen's long-take stunts.
2: The one in the car where you're outside the car. Yeah,
1: that's right. So Colin Farrell starts off outside the car um, saying goodbye to the people he's he's been talking up, the the black local community that he's talking about being a a kind of local hero for. Mm. Um, Gets into the car, and then he has a conversation with uh, his... uh, Wife. my wife is his secretary, I think, or second income. I thought it was his wife. Well, red-headed paperweight, as his dad calls. her. But I thought
0: that was his wife.
2: Well, he's got an ex-wife, hasn't he? And um, and when when they're in the the sort of what years ago would have been a gentleman's club, she sat. She's not sat with, with him, them. So I, yeah. Oh, I, you're right. I think, okay. Yes. You know, yeah. So. Uh,
1: and they have a conversation, and then and and, and they they've been driven to uh, where he lives, which is in a much nicer part of town, but it's not very far away. Um, and then they get out, and so that that scene struck me as kind of a stunk because it's a very noticeable cinematic technique that's being used, you know? Um, but I mean, it was pointed out by David uh, on Facebook, David Sugarman, um, you know more more to that shot than I picked up on the first time because I picked up on I picked up on that it's it's going from a place of poverty to a much nicer area, and that was that that was the central thing I kind of picked up on. and that is true, I mean that's part of the shot. But also there's the fact that they're having uh, a very candid racist conversation. I mean, he's, he says to her, yeah, have you ever slept with a black guy before? Mm. And it becomes this this yeah, kind of jealousy thing about him. And he talks about these people killing each other, these people, he says, you know, mm. um, like, they're, like they're animals, like they're savages. And the and you can just see through the tinted uh, uh, windscreen that the driver is black. Yeah. You know, so he's in the car with them hearing all this and there's no consideration given to him. And that's, uh, and again, it's, it's part of the shots, part of the composition. So... I like, I respected that shot an awful lot more the second time and it's I see it as far less of a stunt now and that's partly thanks to David and it's partly thanks to just being a little less prejudiced seeing the film being a little less kind of going okay he's going to do one of these shots at some point Yes, having a bit of more of an open mind <laughs> a little I didn't go into it closed mind uh, at all I was really looking forward to it the first time mm-hmm. you know and I didn't quite get on with it and I still don't hugely like it but I think what we picked up on what you said in the first podcast that it's hard to love. You know, I think it's true that his films are hard to love, Steve McQueen's, and that's an issue for me. It's a film that doesn't make me feel anything. You said it was quite moving. I, fi- I find this one very moving. I
0: don't. Oh, you see? We, we can talk about it, but mm. I'm interested in what, what you picked up. Well, that, that,
2: uh, that shot in, in, in particular, uh, it was a little lost on me the first time because it was, because I think it's two minutes altogether, and we were, we were quite a long way into it before I'd sort of. Because the the artifice of putting the camera on the front of the car, and why are you framing it like this? And I got I got lost in all of that immediately, Um, and then it had taken me a while to kind of catch up. Whereas this time, um, uh, what struck me about it in particular was just how fast it goes from poverty. They're literally not from the beginning of the shot to the end of the shot, but it's literally a street or two, and you're into like mansions. Um, investment there's a mall all that um, kind of stuff and then you get into mansions and all that kind of stuff and what I thought was interesting about that shot as well was at the very beginning it's talking about investment and rebuilding and at the end it's actually happening but it's happening in the rich part he's got all of the workmen yeah. around his house yeah, and all that kind of stuff and it's, and it's all of that and and this is why it's one of those films that re- rewards more, more viewing. viewing absolutely
1: I think that point that you made about um about the artifice of some of the shots being kind of distracting the first time. Yeah. That is completely true for me. Yeah. The second time I see the film, I know that the shots are coming, and so that, so that wasn't distracting. I was able to appreciate the art of them more. Mm.
0: Um, can you talk a little bit about structure? You were saying that one of the things that struck you most is, is was the structure of the thing. Well, it's... Um,
2: obviously, it's... Uh, as as you say Mike it's working on a number of levels it's whilst it's long it, it is incredibly efficient mm. um, uh, and you know every, every line is very specific and all that kind of stuff and I just really liked the way it um, uh, there's, uh, there's a symmetry I think about quite a lot of it about the characters about the kind of uh, who they are and you know where and when they come into the film and all that kind of stuff and the fact that the heist is is just 10 minutes at the end of the film, you know, yes. in in most movies that would be, you know, the third act completely. Yes. Um, and so it's the interlocking pieces, I yeah. think, as much as anything
0: that I admired. Yes. Um, I think to me the heist in this film is almost a MacGuffin in a way, right? Like, you know, I think the film is about grief and race and yeah. America and, you know how the whole system is broken, mm. you know, and the heist is just kind of a mechanism through which to explore those themes, Yeah, you know. I mean, the heist is a way of, you know, introducing you to Robert Duvall's racism. It's introducing you to the Colin Farrell character being actually even more corrupt than the father, even though he claims to be... You know, completely different that he's yeah. only interested in art and other things, but really, yeah. he's behind the whole scam. Right? Yeah. He's stolen the money. Right? He's part of the organizing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you know uh, um the the notion that kind of you know pe- black uh, intelligent corporate types, you know, leave crime because, you know actually they might not make as much money per week but they can make more long-term, keep keep more of it long-term and be safer doing it. It's a smart business decision, but it really is a parallel to another kind of crime. I mean, yeah. you know, politic, gangsterism and politics are one and the same in this. Yeah, the film, does all kinds of extraordinary things with that, whilst at the same time, you know, um, exploring questions of gender, you know, and very much like the film begins with all of these, you know, four women in grief like they've just you know they've lost husbands whom they loved right you know so the whole thing is overladen with with grief you know and 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 actually with grief commingled with love and pragmatism right because you know the last scene um you see that you know she's completely in love still you know with um Liam Neeson can't believe what she's done but now kind of willing to protect herself with it right yeah but there's there's a lot of tenderness and anger and love all kind of intermingled together right so you know the film is not about the heist yeah you know the heist is the way of bringing these characters together to explore these themes i think uh, yeah i think that's true and i think one of the interesting things
2: about the grief element as well is the scene with uh michelle rodriguez's character Yeah. the the widower of the architect, because when I was watching it first time round, I thought, oh, okay, so she's going to manipulate him," and, and actually, it's nothing to do with that, and it never comes back to that. It's just, you know, one of those primal moments. I think.
0: Yes. Um, which it's I a beautiful really moment love. in the film, I think. Yeah. You know, I was thinking how each of the main protagonists get their scene. You know. Right. Okay. And, and that's Michelle Rodriguez's scene. Yeah. Right. Uh, which I you know I think it's kind of it's part of the way that the film is like a marvel of structure yeah. you know that these moments are kind of distributed throughout the film you know and they all have one I mean you know Robert Duval you know has two right the yeah. moment with his son and the moment where he's killed yeah. right you know so the distribution of that I think is is really quite extraordinary um
1: yeah. Mike? I would not go overboard with the with the thing about isn't it clever that the heist is is only there as a hook because I think it, you know it's it's just a clever genre movie. I mean uh, any clever genre movie will use a genre as a means I think, you're means un- to, I think you're no.
0: understanding it saying it's just a clever genre movie. Though.
1: no, I just mean that part of it is like don't oversell
0: no, no well i I just disagree with you because actually I love the oceans films. You know, but what are The Ocean's films about? I mean, they're not... They're that's not what I mean. I'm
1: not, they're, not clever. they're not clever genre movies. They're just genre movies. But, but I think... Okay, so What I, is a clever I, I genre movie? It's I don't think... It, I just don't think it's so unusual to, to, to find that, you know, this film, which, which, which on the surface you think is going to be one thing, turns out to be, you know, actually just using that as a hook for something so much deeper. I don't, I don't think that's the clever... I don't think that's the notable part of it. What it does with, you know, with, with what it's doing is what's notable. Well, I think that to me, that too, I'm not.
0: Um, um, I'm just observing yeah. that that is what it's doing, and I'm admiring because actually I think it's great. But I, I think, I think it's much more. I think it's much more art house than
2: genre, though. Oh, um, completely, I, totally. <laughs> yeah, Because oh, yeah, yeah. 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 um, I remember, um, in a in a really weird way, it uh, it reminds me of Seven, oh.
0: uh, which is mm. a.
2: Um, uh, was sold as a uh, kind of serial killer slasher movie and all that kind of stuff. But actually, it's this really intelligent meditation on the nature of good and evil and all yes. that um, kind of stuff. But it's hidden away. In it. It's not hard to unpick particularly, mm. but it's there. And you can actually unravel it quite a lot and do some interesting things with it. And this was kind of the same, if if not a little bit further down that road because I I was talking to one of my team about it today who saw it over the weekend Um, and yeah he was just kind of it's all right you know the bank robbery (laughs) it was you know that kind of thing and I think if you're not if you're not willing to put the work into it or you don't come at it from the right you know kind of point of view I think it is immediately it's just not a very good nice movie if you you don't spot all that stuff I think that's an
1: interesting point like what what the, the kind of balance between genre and art, if you like, if that's how you sort of want to think about it, is, is how, how much of the pleasures of the genre movie um, are in this film. And very few. The I answer think, is yeah. I would say not so many. Yeah. I think the heist is very exciting. Yes. I, found it, I found it more exciting the second time as well. But the, the the bits where they are uh, in the garage planning and discussing yes. are not usually exciting. Yeah, okay, well, let's. I think Lee's right because in in that
0: sense, it's not really a heist movie. Mm. I I think if you if you think that the heist film mm. has general structures like you know what is the robbery going to be like, rehearsing it, kind of getting all the people involved and doing mm. their bits, you know, kind of. Doing a bit that doesn't work out, pointing out the problems that have to be overcome, then the problems that become
1: a barrier to the success. Yeah, you know, there's a pattern to the Heisen film. This is not like that. (laughs) Most of the work has been done for them. They just pick it up from the lockbox that he left for them. In terms of, uh, they do have to do some planning and some, you know, kind of when she goes to the gun show and when she buys the various things, they do have to do elements of planning. But in terms of, like doing doing so much of it and getting things wrong and trying things out, you're right. It's, it, there's less of that.
2: But I think you could have made this movie as a genre movie. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, and if you look at, um, uh, so if you take the music as an example, yeah, um, like again, one of the pleasures of viewing something that you enjoy, again, is you're a little bit closer but a little bit more distant at the same time, and you can kind of stop and look and all that kind of stuff. So the music, um, so there is heist music in it because it's... Zimmer and it reminded me of the Dark Knight quite a lot Andy, you know, kind of repetitive
0: yeah, building digit- tension
2: digit- strings kind of thing yeah. um, and it only appears three or four times and it's always in
0: heist moments oh, right, yeah, more, um, I miss that because in the music what I was paying attention to was the it, Nina Simone, Simone and the Simone, and the, Morris, song, yeah. and the day right? Mm. Uh, and not, you know, yeah. but it does do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, well. It is so funny you so notice
1: because on the Wikipedia page it does say, you know, score by Hans Zimmer. And you go, that's a big name, Hans Zimmer. Yeah. And you watch the film and you go, where is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. Only, it is only it is only used when, when they're doing like heist genre things. So it's heist genre music when they're doing yeah. heist genre things. That's the only time. Oh, you know? And I found that really interesting as well.
1: So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: I, I wanted to go back to revisit it for the visuals because of course, you know, Steve McQueen is a Turner Prize-winning visual artist, That's yeah, right? And, you know, I did pick up on quite a few things that I found interesting the first time around, you know, but kind of, I was wrapped up and, you know, I was very moved by it. Like, you know, the, the whole thing about the grief, you know, there are some scenes that are just kind of so stunning, right? Like. You know, the whole beginning and how it's done, right, because before the credit sequence comes out, you know, what you have is, you know, this black woman, yeah, you know, kind of this white bed, you know, Liam Neeson, right, then it goes back a bit, right, and then you have another woman, then it goes back, yeah, like, yeah. it's almost like the whole beginning is past tense, right it's kind of you know yeah. it's kind of it shows you something yeah and then you realize that actually it's the memory of something because they're already dead right like it's a kind of an incredible yeah way of beginning really and just the textures of things right the black face on the white bed yeah yeah with the white dog right kind of you know the, yeah there are all those those things that i just thought were kind of beautiful and evocative and so sad like you know mm-hmm. so I think the film also um is quite sexual right like yeah that kind of you know um it's it's like kind of your id so your you know your, your unconscious desires explode in ways that are messy and unexpected and take you by surprise the scene with Michelle Rodriguez is one of those right yeah. like you know that kind of it seems to happen and it seems to go out of control, like out of both of their controls. And yet it's in some ways understandable, right? Yeah. Like kind of, you know, so um, I've lost track, but all of those things fascinated me, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought kind of that I, you, I wasn't paying enough attention to, um, you know, what what, what a, a world famous award-winning visual artist was actually doing, yeah, you know, within the frame itself. And actually visiting it this time around, I'm just goss I mm. think it's kind of it's extraordinarily beautiful, and and beautiful not in the sense of pretty, but in the sense of expressive and innovative and surprising, right? Kind of you know that last shot in the cafeteria with Viola uh, hey, Davis okay. looking at the B key, you know, and both of them kind of reflected in the glass, but really kind of you know one looking. Yeah, so different there. Directions, yeah, yeah, it's kind of you know, but both being reflected in columns of glass. I mean, that's just kind of yeah. visually stunning, yeah. really, you know. Um
2: I I, um, yeah. uh, I thought that as a uh, as a coder in particular was really nice and, and the um, uh, the blocking in that scene is quite good as well because the camera doesn't particularly move. Then she comes in and uh, Veronica is obscured by the waitress you yes. know so you kind of come in and you see her and then she moves out the way and she's there and they just have that moment which mm-hmm. which i think is really really lovely and then they come outside and again it's the small things she's getting in a car because she drives now because she's yes. much more in control of her own destiny and all that sort of stuff
0: yes.
2: um and it's the first it's the first moment where uh, veronica's human yes. like the first time she she really you know just reaches out to another human being yes. as a human being which i thought was great
1: the film's incredibly elegant in its direction yes that's why i put it when you talk about the blocking it's like i the the film despite the fact it does have shots which are quote-unquote slightly stunted, it does it does things with long takes and moving the camera around particularly those shots with um daniel kaluuya being threatening you know those are yes. all long takes and, and moving yes. camera um so, but you know, d- despite occasionally kind of showing off, if you like, um, there's incredible elegance, and it's and most of the time it's the, it's that the the staging and the blocking means that the work is kind of done for the camera already. The camera doesn't have to do anything that crazy most of the time to to achieve its effects in a way. But what you said about you know um, the... Blocking in that in that final scene where she comes in and, and the waitress and the way she moves and they they're just sat in the perfect place and the cameras just sat in the perfect place to capture everything. Yeah, like it's 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 so elegant. Yeah, I, I can't think of a better way to put it than that. It's it's thoughtful. Yeah, everything is
0: is thoughtful and thought through. Well, even um, a
2: a perfect example of that and um, another example of those kind of you know small touches and stuff like that when. Um, Cynthia Rebo's character, I remember what she's called, uh, when she gets home the first time, um, her kids are watching uh, an animated film on on Mm. TV and and life isn't allowing her to kind of be at home with the kids and all that Mm. um, kind of stuff. She runs for the bus. She arrives at... uh, Michelle Rodriguez's house and they're watching the same film
0: know that's
2: incredible I yeah. just think it, it's a comparison of the two lines yeah there, fantastic. you know so and the stuff like when she's running um, you you hear the bus in the background you hear the kind of uh, wolf whistles and the calls yeah, and, yeah. Like that, and the camera doesn't wait for her she has to catch up to it yes, you know yes. so it, it's, it's, all, it's it's just that elegance the blocking all, you know, stuff, that's yeah, fantastic yeah, yes. yeah and it, 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 it's so it's so particular and meticulous like yes. every aspect of it yes. really was so yeah
0: what i noticed this time that i hadn't noticed uh, before was the scene with the preacher yeah? yeah and he's in church you know and he's talking about god he's preaching um but the way that that's all structured because actually it begins with close-ups and actually an extreme close-up right yeah. and you know you see this handsome charismatic man and then he begins to talk you know and then the scenes open opens out until at the very end. Right, you have people getting off their seats and you know speaking back and so on and being completely involved and then of course you know the end of the scene is actually a long shot of all of the seats empty and then kind of the scene reconstitutes itself in the church but now it's about talking business Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. you know but you know kind of reversing the normal tropes that you begin with an establishing shot and then kind of you have normal continuity editing and you go in this is almost like the reverse of that. It expands, right, from kind of, you know, this individual face and voice speaking virtue. Yeah. Yeah, to, like, a con, basically. Well, the, it, uh, it, it,
2: it's interesting that you say that because I think the uh, the film is uh, not particularly complimentary about the role of the church. Um, no. You know, so Liam Neeson gets out of the um, shower. Like, he's he's the one who betrays everyone in the film and he's wearing a cross you've yes. got that close-up scene of uh crucified christ um uh the uh, uh jamal's hq is in a church separation yes. of church and state um uh and then you've got all of that big scene in the church and all that kind of stuff so i think it, it pops up every now and again and, and because everything is so deliberate and meticulous and stuff, then. Yeah, you know, it's not there by accident. Yes.
1: When no, the church comes the, into the film, there's no, there's no talk of morality. Yeah. Even, even I would say, I mean, I don't remember the specifics of it that much, but even in uh, what the pastor is preaching, I don't think he mentions God all that much. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think he's talking more about kind of social decay and things. Only
2: when he's talking business, isn't he? It's on that very last thing he goes, oh, praising Jesus, as always, Jesus. Like, just, right. just as he's walking out. So and
1: everything that church yeah. has to do is is associated with politics and money. And business and corruption.
0: Yes. What um, doesn't enter into the conversation at all. I think it's a it's um, it's interesting as well to me that a oh, part of my admiration for the film is that it also doesn't minimize kind of um, you know what what I would call black gangland brutality, right? Mm. Like, actually, most of the horrid crimes in the film are actually committed by um, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And they're really quite brutal, right? Like, kind of, you know... Uh, uh, it reminded me a little bit of the Cackney film of, of Angels with Dirty Faces in the sense that it's both playful, like, you know, kind of when he's stabbing Donald J. O'Connor in the. Um, Kevin J. O'Connor. Kevin J. Kevin J. Yeah, J. O'Connor. Likes, yeah. Yeah. Like, mm. it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of really brutal. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, and so kind of, you know, and, and equally the scene where he shoots the rappers, right? Yeah. Like, he I makes mean, them rap first. He makes them rap first. You know, and then there's a kind of a gleeful fun element. Because if you realize, you know, you just killed some brothers, right? Yeah. And kind of then you're know, just rapping, right? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So it doesn't... So what I mean to say is that in its argument on race and racism, which I think is actually very fascinating and complex, it doesn't absolve black people from, mm. you know, a yeah. role in it. Yeah. Well,
2: do you think there's anything deliberate in the fact that he's the 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 only caricature? I think Daniel Kalu's character, um, in the sense that, I mean, he is. I think his performance is great. I think Um, it's great. That uh, that scene that you were just talking about with the rapping, the way he walks in with the um, book, he, he knows exactly what's um coming but, but he just pauses a moment just to get to the end of his paragraph yeah. and then he closes the book and moves on yeah. you know so but he just had the least it's, it, it, it's an amazing performance but he's the least interesting character i think in the in he's the, the least pop.
1: dimensional character. he's the least dimensional character
2: yeah yes. it's, it's it's not
0: that he's not interesting but yeah he just doesn't have the sort of he's a caricature but he's a very effective one yeah and actually and i think it's important to have him in the film you know because actually that is the stereotype yeah right? Um, but do you think he's deliberately dimensionless? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I very much do. Because actually, again, he occupies quite a lot of screen space, mm. right? And yet he is the one... He's not given any motivation, really. Or, yeah. you know, he's just kind of the arranger. He's the, he's the fixer, the guy who, does, who gets things... Mm. Who gets a dirty job done,
1: right? He even questions... I, is he the brother of... Yes. Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, yes. Because um, um, at the start, after they have the conversation right at the start of the film with um, Colin Farrell's character and he leaves, he says, why do you even want to go into politics anyway? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, he doesn't believe in it at all.
0: Yeah. He no.
1: is purely just the abortion. He doesn't have any belief in what he's been no, asked to do.
0: Not at all. I mean, he's basically doing the same thing for his brother now in politics that he was doing in gangs
1: before. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Um, so... Which is, and that's the point that the film's trying to make, I, guess, I think so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. These, these two worlds are coterminous. Are
0: yeah. But, um, what, can I move the conversation a little bit to the women, you know, and then actually to, to the men, because I think it's very unusual to have a film with, you know, the central protagonist is a black middle-aged woman.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, which I think is extraordinary. And then, in a way, what follows from that trunk, I suppose, or the branches from the, that trunk, are the Michelle Rodriguez and the Elizabeth the the Pe- characters, yeah. right? You know, and so you understand their wants, their history, their desires, right? Their hopes, right? Kind of what, how they hope to change their life, whether, you know, why their situation is awful and mm-hmm. how that relates to men, <laughs> right? Um, and, and actually, I think that is kind of extraordinary, really, yeah. you know. Well, so all, all of the issues in their lives, like the whole film, stems from the men, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Yeah. But not just from the men. Yeah. You know, so for example, with the Michelle Rodriguez character, right, you know, you, you get a sense of a whole um, whole set of social relations, right? A whole kind of uh, a structure of feeling, like... You know, so her mother-in-law hates her, blames her for what's happened to her son, even though she doesn't know that actually her son was a shit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and is threatening to take away the kids, and yeah, like, kind of, in, I mean, I think as you said, Mike, yeah, it's the film is so economical and kind of, you know, everything that it does, but it, it evokes a whole kind of set of social relations which are very different for each of the women. Yeah. Elizabeth Zabiki's mother is trying
1: to pimp her out. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah. This is the point I was going to make about the women. Like, I think I think we, we've talked before about um, about how great it is to have so many uh, films about gay life these days. Yeah. And one of the things that's so great about it is that they don't have to be trying to represent all gay people in one film. Yes. You can You can talk about different things. And... When you think about the way women are portrayed in film, normally you get one woman in a film full of men, you know, maybe two women. Um, So there's no kind of, there's no chance for interplay, I mean that's what the Bechdel test is all about, you know, women talking to each other without men being in the conversation. Um, And so in this you get get to see a a range of uh, representations of women from different backgrounds, different races, different classes different situations some of them got kids some of them haven't you know she's got an overbearing mother she's got a, her husband and, and son died so you get to see all these different types of women not types but different experiences interrelating inter- and interacting one
0: of the reasons why I find the film so extraordinary is because I mean once you begin to think about it you realise but actually as you watch it you're not but it's kind of like you know a model of intersectionality isn't it right yeah you know, you have class, right? So, you know, you have the Viola Davis character, she's basically rich, right? Mm-hmm. You have um, the babysitter, what's her name? Who, who, who does the running Oh, Cynthia Riva. Uh, the C- Cynthia Riva character, you know, who's basically like the poorest of the lot, right? So you have two black characters of different races, you know, then you have like a Latina and then you have a white person. Mm. Yeah, it is kind of, yeah, and yeah. this is before you even begin to talk about the men, Yeah. right? So so I think it's extraordinary for a film to be touching, you know, on all those dimensions and to kind of bring them together. It has that, that feeling,
1: it, it has that feeling of a classic, of a classic heist movie in that respect, like, like uh, Reservoir Dogs or something, where it's about, a, those films are about groups of men interacting groups of men ha- having different personalities and you never question that because we're just so used to seeing that. You do the same thing but change to a group of women from different backgrounds and different, different personality types and so on and all of a sudden it becomes remarkable because you never get to see that. But
0: actually I think this film is more remarkable than those that you're you're bringing up as examples because yeah. in fact it doesn't ignore the men or actually like, you know, oh yeah, Reservoir the... Dogs does, yeah. you know, ignore the women. You know, because I do think actually that the you know the Liam Neeson character uh, uh, and the Duval um, and the Colin Farrell are just as important to the story as any as any woman in terms of the points that you know the film wants to make, right, right. or wants to dramatize, right? Like you know, and they're equally given really fully fledged rounded characters, right? Yeah, so the story's not about them, but actually kind of. Who they are and yeah. represent is essential to the story. Well, it's um, it's kind of ironic actually that in a you
2: know in a film about women the the supporting male characters
0: are written in a way that supporting female characters in the other films are just not <laughs> exactly you know yeah. so yeah um, yeah and that's and that's one of the things that makes the film remarkable and exceptional yeah. you know um, but maybe also. Um, so you're right. It's a contradictory thing in the sense that it's part of why it's, I think this film is so great, right? But on the other hand, it's part of a patriarchal privilege to do that, right? Yeah. So you know, maybe it's not. It would, so be,
1: it would be quite, it would be that, quite bold if it said we're going to write the women really well and write the men really badly to 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 sort to make of that mock, point, yeah, yeah, to make the point that that's no, not necessarily no, yeah. the way around. But
0: one of the things <laughs> that people would complain about is, yeah. for example. You know, like, uh, um, you know, you make a film with Jimmy Cagney or something, and the female role would just be a woman to be slapped around, mm-hmm. right? But then you'd make a melodrama with Barbara Stanwyck, you know, and the guy would just be like some patsy who would have like four lines, and so, you know, yeah. kind of, she'd leave him and make a life of her own. So, you know, kind of, it is an issue, right, that is very elegantly resolved in this film, and also, people have argued that maybe, like, part of the problem with classic cinema is that that was the thing, you know, that if you make somebody a protagonist and then you just kind of reverse the gender, then you know the other, yeah, the other gender just kind of became minimal or ineffectual or, yeah. you know, so I, if you if you focus, if you have one protagonist and it's one gender, then the other it's subsidiary well right. I think, think when, when
1: you have a film that's one protagonist everything has to relate to them in some way that's what makes them the central figure yes. when you have an ensemble film like this yes. you get all this freedom to, to you know, no one has to take on that role of being, being central having to have everything relate to them so everything is able to uh, you like to have a web you know, yes. of interrelations mm. which is better yes
0: mm.
1: yeah <laughs> I mean I'm not saying it's easy it's better I mean the film aims really high and it nails it I think yes yeah.
0: um so this is not quite an ensemble, in that sense. I mean, there are hierarchies, aren't there? I mean, it, it yeah. is, it is. You know, I think it's Viola Davis's film. Then it's the three: it's Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth yeah. Debicki, Viola Davis. Then there's another rung, which is the men, and yeah, yeah. you know. So I. Well, and also, actually, I'm not saying
1: it's perfectly even-handed, but you get my point. Right? No, yeah, I get your
0: point, but I'm also trying to relate it to Lee's point about the structure. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. it's so beautifully structured that it allows you know, to to get fully rounded characters on all of these different levels and representing such different things and playing such an interesting and almost catalytic role in the narrative, right? Because, you know, they all do something that pushes it forward, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, and they all have a relationship with each other. I mean, I think the Colin Farrell, Robert Niro thing, it's so interesting to me because it's a subsidiary, you know, like kind of, you know, if you if you rank which are the most important people in the film, they wouldn't rank very high. Yet, you know, you have a whole thing about the politics of yesterday, the politics of today, how similar they are, even though, you know, the father and son have, like, this great conflict about how things should be. Yeah. Right? There's a whole Oedipal struggle built into that, right? I mean, it's just, I think it's quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. I thought um, uh,
2: when you take a step back and, and look at... Um, uh, these things are, are, are always about kind of equilibrium, disequilibrium, equilibrium, all that kind of stuff. The the only characters who change are the four women because when you know at the end of it, uh, Jamal isn't the alderman. Um, Colin Farrell is, even though he doesn't want to be. Yes. You know, all of the guys are dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You know, so so it, it 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 does kind of have that classic uh, the, the 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 arc. Yeah. You know, everybody's learned it. It it does do those things, but just in a way that you don't really notice too Mm. much, which I think is extraordinary.
0: I think um, it's worth mentioning also, you know, that uh, the script is co-written by... uh, Gillian Flynn and and Stephen McQueen. I think you made a big deal out of of this in the first...
1: I picked up on the fact that she... Well, she's obviously a big name in screenwriting as well, and she wrote uh, Gone Girl. That's
0: yes. what she's most. That's what she's best known for. I'm just uh, commenting that it's something that you, Mike, raised in our previous podcast, and that I think it's interesting, you know, to have like you know a female kind of uh, uh, screenwriter, mm. and then you know a black British filmmaker, mm. kind of working together. On a British story that's transposed to America and actually again bringing up this question of intersectionality and that actually that might be some of the um, rationales for why you know the film is structured the way that it is you know and yeah deals with the issues Mm -hmm. that it does
2: and and it's interesting even with that provenance it it feels like such an American film uh, yeah um, not just in, in in terms of like you know it's obviously a kind of Hollywood movie and stuff like that but it, it's it's so representative of America in the same it's, uh, it's about America yeah I'd absolutely say. in the same yeah. way as Killing Me
1: Soft you was yeah Yeah. You know, a few
2: years ago it's, yes. it's, it's 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 very American now absolutely
1: yeah. Um and, kind of, and originally written by Linda with well, the original yeah. uh, TV series, yes. who, again, yeah, obviously a woman. Yeah. Um, yes. And that's kind of why she wrote it, because I think we said in the first podcast, she was sick and tired of the role she was getting offered, so she wrote something better. Yes. Um,
0: and you've seen Prime Suspect re- recently. Yeah, I itself.
1: said after the first so. podcast, I'm going to watch Prime Suspects, and I watched the first one, mm. um, the first three, three hours and 20 minutes. You must have seen Prime First break. I saw it when it came out. You haven't. Uh, it's good. It's really good. It's really you know? really okay. I mean, yes. it's, I, mean it's a, I thought, Jesus Christ, it's quite daunting at three and a half hours, but mm. um, I mean it's fantastic. And the performances are great. It it is made for TV, so kind of visually it's um it's a little bit kind of plain, I guess. And it's and it's you know it's all about dialogue really and performance. Though there are kind of visual pleasures, there's a great shot in it where um, Helen Mirren as uh, Tennyson She's on the verge of losing her job, and she's sat in front of the department that she's running the murder investigation. And she's talking, and the sound carries on while she's talking. But she goes into the background, and she f- and she she's blurred out, and in focus in the foreground it's like a game of Chinese whispers mm. where you, you go from one police officer to, to another ignoring her talking to each other going have you heard I think she's about to lose the job and as the, as the conversation goes down the line and the camera pans around following the tracks around mm. um, it, it goes from a rumour to absolute facts yeah. Yeah. And, and she has no say in it she's in the background not being involved in the conversation blurred out yeah, that's a, it's a brilliant shot that one I mean, that's, yeah. like, a, that's like a Steve McQueen shot
0: can, can I, <laughs> it's a great show can I bring two things together really so, you know, kind of you were saying about how uh, one of your colleagues or whatever had said that they'd seen the film, but then, uh, right, it was okay or something. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, I think part of the problem in watching films like these is that, A, they are art cinema and they require a certain degree of visual literacy. Yeah. Right? Which I think it's astonishing, that, but that most people lack actually. You know, so, you know, you'd think that after watching so much visual media all the time That yeah. kind of you'd be more conversant with you know being able to 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 to, to read visually if one can say
2: that well I think there's, there's often um, you know so we talk about ideas of cultural capital and stuff like that sure. and, and the what a film like this prompts you to do is go that's odd why mm-hmm. and most people don't do the second half of it Yes. a lot of the time I got caught up quite a lot in one of the early shots first time I was watching it I was trying to work out actually which one was the real Veronica when she's doing she's sat there in front of the mirror grieving and it's almost like a triptych Yeah, there's, so you know, there's one it's image. and then there's the dog on yeah. the bed and then the next shot they cut to a close-up of her, which is clearly the mirror, because it has that kind of slight...
1: Yes, there's a dual image.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and she just it gives this really animal scream, um, which kind of bookends the film as well, because those are her own two moments of grief. Yes. Um, but the first time I watched it, I was... Again, I was into the artifacts going, which which one's the real uh, her? Yes. You know, so then when I was watching it again, I was like, okay, Why? Yes. Like what? What is the film trying to do here? And, uh, um, and I, I, don't really have an answer for that, but I don't yes. mind because, you know, you get to kind of sit here and talk about it, and that's what really good cinema should do. Yes, so, I agree. You know, but most people people don't do the second half of that equation. They just yeah. go, "That's a bit odd. Like, why is the camera on the bonnet?" Yes. So,
1: and I, 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 wonder... I, 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 do that too much. I mean, I, I, I start to try to sort of force myself sometimes to, to try to think critically about actually evaluate what a film is actually trying to do rather than just go oh that seemed dumb Yeah, it can still be hard to do that you have to be in a for me at least I have to be in a kind of deliberate frame of mind sometimes for that I think Yeah.
0: well the reason why I wanted to, to bring you know your two things in together was you know you having seen Prime Suspect and the thing about you know that kind of drama which i think is three episodes the first
1: one is two episodes i think they're all two episodes Okay, two episodes. Big episodes, yeah a apart though, yeah. from one of them which is three
0: yeah you know and you have this space and narrative and it is kind of very heavily dialogue performance structure yeah in that kind of tv miniseries, yeah you know as opposed to a kind of you know a film or really you know it does have to be more condensed, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so the visuals tend to occupy kind of a different role because they have to communicate various things simultaneously, you know, along with the dialogue and so on. And I think actually that that becomes kind of part of the problem of watching a film like Widows, that you have to be attentive, you know, to those things because they convey so much. And actually you're not used to, you know, so we think we've grown up watching films. And actually, you know, the problem is That A, we've really grown up watching television, not films, Mm. right? And that even though we might have watched lots of television and lots of films, we're still kind of not used to thinking
1: about it, you know? There's a, there's a the great, second part of the question that you brought up, sorry. There's, there's a great series of videos, which I'm sure most people who do the podcast will have um, heard of and seen, uh, called Every Frame, Every Frame of Painting. i knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Every Frame <laughs> of Painting by Tony Joe and someone else who, whose yeah. name I don't know because he never gave a credit. Um, but there's one which he did on Michael Bay, and there's a line in it where he, he's talking about the, the editing and, and how everything's so fast and frenetic. Uh, Bayhem. Bayhem. Yeah. And he says, um, we're, we're increasingly visually. We're increasingly visually sophisticated and increasingly visually illiterate. You know, we we can take in all these images that if you show transformers, I mean never mind it's about robots, if you show something edited like Transformers to people who are watching films in the nineteen thirties, they wouldn't be able to get ahead or tail of it. We can understand it, but we but we can't interpret it. You know, we, yes. we don't we don't we don't have those tools to to interpret and to, to actually get an evaluation of it. I mean, this is what's. This is why we live in fucking Brexit and Trump world because 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 of because of like online advertising that means you don't have any. If we if more if more people had the kind of tools, if, everyone took the piss for so long and still does of, of media studies degrees. Yeah. So yeah, 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 you never get a job, blah blah blah. But like that teaches you tools. To have a critical, yeah. to critically evaluate everything that you're seeing. It doesn't have to be films and TV. It can be lies that you're being told online. Yeah, you know. And be it's not true, that doesn't get you work. <laughs> yeah, that's <not> true. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. But um, you know, so and I think it's like, every, people still take the piss out of it, and those are the people who we really need yeah. <laughs> now because we live in a world where everything is communicated visually. It is. Well, but
2: actually no I was gonna say just on that uh, on, on on that kind of uh, in that vein, another one of those um, every frame of painting videos is about drive, um, which mm. is a film that I really, really love. I love it as well, um but it's about the way Nicholas Wining Reffin uses the quadrants uh-huh. um, which when I'm having someone um Cleverer than me, explaining it to me is really obvious. I, I I never came near it when I was watching it. I had absolutely no idea that there's this this other layer of visual communication. You know, so um, I just thought it was like you can never have enough background in education in this kind of stuff.
0: Well, I mean, I think the thing about movies, and I always say this, is the line from Pauline Kael. You know, but she, I mean, she would say that you know the reason why movies are great is because they call on everything you know right and you yeah. never know enough right so let's say you know a lot about music or a lot about literature a lot about uh, graphic design you could put all that knowledge to use and still actually be lacking kind of you know other elements that yeah. kind of people have brought into it because you know films are a collaborative kind of medium and 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 actually because of the expense involved it often does involve calling on, you know, some of the most skilled people in the world to yeah. do particular things, as in this movie, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, of course, like, kind of the film, I think, um, or certainly the very greatest of films, and I think Widows is one of them, kind of, you know, it does call on more... It is superior to you, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, That kind of, you know, you have all of these kind of extraordinarily people with extraordinary skills putting all their skills to bear to kind of communicate one thing, mm. right? And kind of maybe you get the one thing, but you're not getting all the layers behind it, you yeah. know? And part of the pleasure of watching a film like this is watching it over and over again to kind of, you know, try to, to get to it, right? To, mm. to get something that is, like, superior to you, mm. you know, but that nonetheless connects in some way. I mean, this one connected with me anyway. Yeah.
1: I think a good place to start, for me at least, when I'm trying to think about... Uh, kind of analysing uh, a film the film imagery and so on is the effect it has on me because I think and this is where for me Widow still falls down the second time is that it didn't have an emotional effect on me yeah. which is and you can't blame the film for that really it's, that's just a, a case of not connecting like you connected yes um, but I think you know I think storytelling like ultimately it's about the effect it has so, so that, that video that you mentioned the one on Drive yeah was I found that film that, that video really dissatisfying because um, it was it was pointing out something that you could clearly pick up on from uh, analysing the film in, in, using quadrants, but it didn't explain to me anything that Why? was. About, it didn't. It didn't then go and here's the effect. Yeah. You know, here's if you were feeling this, this might be. You know, so um, so so there's a case of, like if you if you try and like just decode a film as it were. From sort of first principles, I I find that quite dissatisfying. I think if I start off with the effect, then I have the question why? Why the effect? You know, that's kind of where that's kind of where analysis starts for me. I think. Yes.
2: Well, that's a good place for it to start. I I think that's a really interesting point, particularly in terms of it it didn't. I I admire and respect it for its artistry and its construction and its artifice and all that kind of stuff. It it doesn't have a huge emotional i don't have a huge emotional response to it in the same way that i do with say for example lone survivor which is not like (laughs) anybody's favorite movie but i love it because it's about things that you know like uh you know having been in the army and all that kind of thing i'm i'm a straight middle class white guy like the sure i am i'm the recipient of all the privilege you know, so so it's kind of well look at um <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way, Lee. Yeah, I but, know of others. <laughs> yeah. But um uh, but this film like didn't have that huge uh, like I didn't have this huge emotional response to it, uh in the same way that I think you're kind of um uh, talking about, but I still loved it in the same way.
0: I I think I wonder if it's maybe a question of age, you know, because I really identify with. Father um, Davis? Yes. And, you know, I mean, because I think what I identify with is the way that the film complicates uh, um, emotion, mm. you know, so that anger and love and a kind of a hunger for touch you know and betrayal it was quite a tactile film as well there was quite a lot of that you get a a sense for people's Mm. need to to touch and fuck basically and you know to to have a a physical connection Um, and then also the loss of it right and kind of you know she's lost her son she's lost her husband Um, worse than that she recovers finds she's betrayed her (laughs) yeah so she's been like crying over this man mm. who's really been uh, shit. But actually, you can also understand him, I think, or I do, Yeah. right? So actually, this kind of complicated mixture or complicated response to something is not a typical movie th- something, mm. but it's a typical life something where you can love and be angry yeah, yeah, at the same time and kind of mourn something and, you know, kind of... Try to overcome it and wish for it, and yeah, because the film structure—it's almost part of it—is always in the past. It's always of what was and what is lost. Yeah, yeah. And I I identify with that. I think that the
2: the the way it does those things around grief, Mm. particularly the 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 thing that you mentioned in the last episode, where like you know she's looking at the reflection, he's there, then he's not when you come back to the real world and all that. So I thought that was great, and it made me think of. Uh, like I've I've never been in quite that position you know but I I I can think of like I was seeing somebody in Birmingham for a while and 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 everywhere I go every Mm. you know just it's it's a roadmap of that relationship so I can imagine just you know being in the home where you raised a child and, uh, and and just how difficult that must be and I thought the film did it
0: really really well yes
1: um, mm. I think uh, um, that point where she goes into her child's bedroom you get the feeling that that door's been closed forever yes you know and then she goes into it for one time
2: and the only thing that's in there you know because it's again it's completely white isn't it yes. you know and it's stripped bare except there's a pile of posters and the first one is Malcolm X in that sort of two-tone Barack Obama style
0: but actually you see the Barack Obama poster later oh right you know so actually it's very
1: interesting because I think in the middle it's at the same time when she has the not the flashback when you are told the story of how he died yeah Yeah. so
0: whilst he's being killed in the scene where he's being killed You have the Obama poster, so it says, Obama, hope. Right. And it's exactly the same colour and the same style of poster as the Malcolm X poster. And I think when you
2: talk about the, um, like, complex characters and complex relationships and stuff like that, I was really struck by the scene where she's putting the white glove on his hand in the funeral, and it's almost like, you know, is she, like, if you'd have had a child with somebody else, he'd still be alive, because they've just had the conversation about... Um, I didn't see myself being married to a white guy, so like the implication is he would probably have been married to a white woman. They'd have a white child, and that white child would still be alive because even though he's mixed race, you know, as I learned from university with you, one drop of black blood.
0: That's you know, right. You know, you so say that, and you know, and actually, you the film tells you very clearly he got killed because he's black, he's really. Black, yeah. You know, Absolutely. so. Um, but then, yeah. But I think that the, the, on
2: on that interesting thing in particular as soon as he reaches over you're like no don't do it you're going to get killed and yes. he, yeah, you know it's like you, if you hadn't done that you would just be alive but I know if I'd have done that I'd be alive you know and it's a different set of rules Yes and people. also
0: how do people process those things because you know he's in the middle of a conversation it's his mother's present right like yeah. you know he's putting down the phone right like, yeah. <laughs> so it's the film renders it completely understandable but You know, I do think that a film being so sensitive to the nuances of that
1: is due to having a black filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, So That that, that part in particular, maybe maybe this is a little bit uh, out of my depth, but um, the part in particular where he uh, gets shot by the cop in the car, I think we see that way because of Modern Eyes, because... Uh, that's clearly happening while Obama's campaigning. So it's, it's just prior to Obama's election, or maybe just after it. When posters are still up, you know, it's around that era. And I think it was it was only really once Obama uh, took office that we started to see all of these videos of. Um, police shootings of, yes. of black people yes. so I wasn't quite, I mean I'm sure this is like, you know, for, for black people listening and any black or Americans who might be listening, this is like not news but for me that was when I really started to learn about all of that yeah. yes. um, and I think it was like when, when Obama was elected it wasn't about the end of racism, it was we entered a new racial world where, yes. you know, we kind of saw things differently or we started to learn things so I think that but for, for me at least it was it was the benefit of the hindsight of the last kind of ten years of having learned about what situations actually are like for black people in America that I knew immediately how that scene was going when I first saw it. If if I'd seen that ten years ago, I might not have. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, yeah, I think that uh, we'd
0: have probably watched it ten years ago and gone, that wouldn't happen. Yes. <laughs> you know, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know. So. No, I think it's true. I think it's interesting because, you know you have this sense of progress, you know? Of you, you look at films, you know, from the 1930s, and you think, oh, you know, we've evolved or whatever. And actually, well, you know, what I was thinking recently watching all these 1930s films is actually that we haven't, right? That kind of, you know, so when I was a young person, I would have, I would have arguments with my father about saying, oh, well, the world's not like that now. Or, you know, I would say always, oh, because you're Spanish, like, Canada's not like that, right? Or, you know, and obviously he just thought I was like a naive, stupid idealist and didn't know the world, yeah. which was true. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah. And I think I kind of, you know, as you get older, you do think, well, things do change, but also actually so many things remain the same. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And kind of, you well, know, I, I, something that I
2: meant to uh, ask you, actually, and um, having read another review, is the, um, so Michelle Rodriguez's shop is a, and I can't remember the word, but it's a tiaras and the, uh, it's a, a Latin American thing. The, the, quinceanera, yeah, quinceanera, which is about a coming of age, isn't it? That's right. You know, and you know, and that's not an accident. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts on.
0: No, I mean I don't really because I, I and actually it's interesting that you mentioned that because I wasn't sure whether it was a quinceanera or you know because they also have shops for. Graduations and proms, or mm. you know, prom queens, right? Yeah. Like it had tiaras in those big, boofy dresses, and, yeah, you know, and so on. So, I the, the Queen Sañera bits, I mean, I did clue in that you know that it might also be for that, yeah, but I didn't think it was especially for that, okay, yeah. I think it's you know, I mean, if um, you know, if you were a beauty queen or if. You know, yeah. you going what, to prom, or, yeah.
2: You know, or, but but all of those things are coming of age. Mm. Sure, they are you know, actually. So. No,
1: you've got a good. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, but, but I I I, I, I
2: couldn't quite unpack it. I wasn't sure what was going on there. Yes, and particularly
1: uh, it seemed to be feminine, right? I mean, that's why I think you know, like, yeah, like it, it was a shop for selling to girls.
0: Yes. Um. I mean, yeah. I kind of, to be honest, I hadn't thought about that because you know I think my focus was just on her husband's stealing from her yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely
1: well. yeah. Uh, um, so yeah. kind of and I was concentrating on how brilliant the cut was when, <laughs> when uh, she's told, she goes in and finds her shots being taken apart and everything's being stolen she, and the guy explains why and that's in a long take and then, and then it cuts in and I only noticed it the second time, I thought that was a whole long take the first time it cuts in on a, on a closer shot on a different lens um, almost imperceptibly Um, just towards the end so you get a final close-up on her and thought god that's brilliant that's just so again elegant beautiful editing yes I mean there's
0: so many brilliant things in again I mentioned this in our first podcast you know but um, the close-up of of Liam Neeson's face you know just you know with the texture of the skin and the wrinkles when he's crying yeah and um, then the cut in the same scene where you just have this enormous close-up of Viola Davis's eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I just thought that was like, as an image, it's just extraordinary. I mean, I'm not sure what to make of it, really. Yeah. You know, because it kind of, you know, the eye is dark, so it's almost, it's got like a cat's eye, so the light falls on it, and so half of the eye is lit, mm. but actually you still can't see anything, right? Like, you yeah. don't see an iris or, yeah. yeah mm. you know, and then kind of the wrinkles around the eye. I mean, it's just such an extraordinary image, yeah. you know, um, that... Uh, I, I was I'm just proud to away. take
1: it for granted. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um,
2: I, I thought the, the, the one bum note in the casting for me was Liam Neeson. Um, oh, no, I loved him. Really? No, I thought he was great. I just thought he was too, too big a star to die in the first act. Um, but he doesn't. That's exactly my point.
1: Oh, you didn't believe it?
2: Yeah, you know, so I, th- th- there was always a part of me was going,
0: he's not dead.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I okay. thought that was interesting. I believed that over the line, I Yes, I
0: yeah. did as well, actually. The first viewing, I kind of... You know, I just thought, oh, well, you know, this is one of those things where a big star wants to contribute yeah, wants to an artistic project. In, yeah. you know? yeah. So I was surprised uh, when he returned, actually. And there's something about... I mean, I love him, yeah, you know, um, and there's something just about his presence, right? Because, you know, I mean, he must be sixty five or something now. yeah, you know and he's still got that incredible hulking body, yeah. you know, and it's kind of so powerful and also so his persona is so calm, yeah. yeah, and powerful and so on. yeah, right? So actually, I think it kind of it really works well in this film because actually, it must have taken some kind of man, you know, to marry a black woman you yeah. know, and to raise a child with her. And aside from him being a criminal and everything, yeah, like, yeah. So the hawking presence and the, you know, the soft voice or and the yet, deep
2: voice. Because you're talking about kind of um, strength and power and stuff like that, and yet he shows himself to be weak and cowardly and all that, yes. kind of thing, which is really interesting. It's interesting that yet again he's in a film about grief. Yes. Um, because he's almost always in films about, like, ever since his wife died, he's almost always
0: in films about getting his family back in one way or another. Yes, he's he's like, you know, the personification of it,
1: really. I love him. The shot of him Um, at the the funeral in the church for their son and uh, Father Davis is crying as she leaves and it's a shot of him on a very long lens and he's he's on the right-hand side of the frame looking over to his son like he's not right in front of it he can't stand near it yeah. near the coffin and he's crying his eyes out looking over and his sort of chin his lips quivering yeah. yeah, that's an amazing shot to me the performance mm. with, like, it, and it is as you say it's, like, it's this it's this kind of huge like, kind of hulking figure completely broken Yeah, which is wonderful and actually you see, you know, as you say you see a lot of that I mean the only time you, you see him in any kind of Sense of power is when you see the heist right at the start, really, and even then, it's everything's going wrong. It's not really you don't. You, he doesn't get a chance to show off or anything. That's not what that's about. Yeah. And you know when he's revealed in uh, in in the bedroom of the, the, the woman he's cheating with or going off with, um, he's he's his shoulders are slumped. He's looking out the window at Viola Davis as she leaves. He's yes. not happy. Yeah, you know he's not, and he's not big and strong or anything like that. Yeah,
2: and and and, and even like again, I'm at risk of reading too much into things but the, the even in that scene in the church he's destroying something beautiful he's pulling the flower apart and just leaning yes. in a mess yeah, on the floor you know? yeah. so um, I thought he was great in it I yes. thought his um, performance was amazing he was the right size and bulk and intimidating and all that kind of stuff. It, it just it's one thing that didn't quite sit right with me
0: okay mm. well with me I was very surprised because you know obviously you expect somebody like Stephen Queen to, you know, to do extraordinary things visually. Yeah. But actually, I think the performances are almost uniformly great. Yeah. You know, well. and, and um, I was surprised, for example, by Colin Farrell, whom I love and who is great. But actually, on my first viewing, I thought, you know, I mean, he was fine, but he was, like, really down my list of, yeah. you know, what I loved about the film. And actually, you see him again, and he's fantastic, really, yeah. you know, like kind of, you know, uh, um, and particularly in his interactions with Robert Duvall, right? That, that scene is the one that stands out for me particularly, oh. because when
2: there's a point where he looks away and he almost laughs, and, you know, and it's that kind of, he can't quite believe that he's finally standing up to his dad. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Thought, I thought that was really great. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, um, so, and I think all of the actors are, I mean, I can't, Every, everybody brought their A game, I think. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, Robert Duvall was
1: fantastic, you yeah. know.
0: Um, so it's kind of, to me, it's quite amazing that, you know, somebody who doesn't really come from the performing arts, who really comes from kind of, you know, painting or, yeah. you know, as a visual artist, um, is is able to elicit kind of these uniformly extraordinary performances. I mean, I also love, he's one of my favorites, actually, now, Um, what's his name? Brian Therese? Brian Therese Henry. Henry, Yeah. Right, I mean... He's fantastic. He's fantastic, right? So, but kind of you expect him to be, because actually the role that he plays is not that far removed from, Uh, you know, what he plays in Atlanta or, you know. but uh, you know some of the other Elizabeth the Beaky, it's fantastic. I thought she was great. I think yeah. she's really good. Um, yeah, you know, so it's kind of yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of an extraordinary film. And actually, you know, I'm, I'm hmm. tempted to see it again.
1: <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> go without me <laughs> I've had my fill.
2: There, there was again that that uh, that scene in the flat where uh, Veronica slaps... um, Dabiki. Yeah, Yeah. Dabiki. And it looks like she hits a... Like she slaps it and then she goes like that. And it looks as though she actually cracked a one and was... (laughs) Yes, it does. Uh, Yeah, and they cut away immediately afterwards. Yeah. so It's
1: only for a couple of frames. You get the
2: sense of it. Yeah, because they probably did cut away. But even even the... um, uh, the scene with her and a mother as well, um, where her mum hits her round the back, and and it's that big kind of close up yeah. on her face, and she runs through a whole range of things, yes. you know, which is just, yeah, I thought the performances were all superb, superb, yeah. So. Well, she
1: starts off the film with a black eye, yeah, doesn't she? Poor old, she does. old yeah. well, she does, but
0: at the beginning you think, oh, this is going to be one of those stereotypical performances, yeah. right? You know, like this beautiful woman is kind of bashed by you know this hunk because her husband is played by... John Bernthal. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic, you yeah. know. Yeah. He's got kind of that rough uh, thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of, you think, oh, this is going to be that kind of role, actually. Yeah. And then it evolves into, like, uh, you know, something yeah. much more interesting. That yeah. that scene where she buys
2: the gun. Yeah. Uh, and then the the swagger she has when she walks out afterwards, you really feel like she's earned it. Yeah, you exactly. You she's eating a hot dog and, and yeah. she's... You know, she's almost got that kind of Charlie's Theron yes. sway. As she's It's because she
1: fucked up the first one. She fucked up buying the van, thinking it's great, and then she got chewed out by, by yeah. the Davis for spending too much money, not being able to drive, and not knowing what's going on. So when she is resourceful and yeah. plays the part of the the you know, immigrants. Uh, uh, put a Russian mail or bride. Yeah. You know and then she she gets her gun. she's like and oh, nail this one. Yeah. And that's when you were saying you know she, it defies the stereotype of the ditzy blonde who can't do anything like she actually she, she gets it done and she also is able to get done what Michelle Rodriguez isn't able to get done which is the thing with the blueprint. Yes. You know? Yeah. And and you get a sense
0: of these women in the process of change and becoming. So you know what you it's like what you said Lee You know, so it's not just that they've done something. It's like, you know, when she comes out with the hot dog and kind of, you know, swaying and, you know, she's pleased with herself. She's become somebody she didn't know she could be. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of fantastic. Um, I'm going to have to get going. Yes. Well, we should end it here, in fact. Yeah, that's um, fair.
1: So let's wrap it
0: up. Um, yes. So, I was
1: glad I saw it a second time. You know, Begrudgingly, I will have to give you the credit of going, yes, I'm glad you dragged me along. Yes. Um, but I, do, I do appreciate it more the second time, and it's led to a really good conversation.
0: Yes, um, it has,
1: actually. I mean, I think it's been brilliant.
0: Um, and actually, kind of talking to both of you, it made me see even more things that I hadn't noticed, you know, on my own the second time. So, I mean, to me, it kind of... You know, because when you, when you go see something twice... You kind of have a hope you know yeah yeah, you're interested but actually that doesn't necessarily mean that there'll be a payoff yeah Yeah, like some films you want to see twice and you come you know three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri or whatever you know I wanted to see it again but really it fulfilled my worst yeah (laughs) Yeah, it Mm. kind of um, was actually this one if anything I come out of the cinema and particularly after our conversation thinking that it was even greater than I felt after
1: the first screening. Yeah. The conversation has elevated it for me. You know, which, which is a good thing, it's just a film that I didn't you know, get, the, get the most of the first time. Yeah, I will have to film. admit that. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> that, that's the point of some of these films, right? Like, I think, you know... It's, well, too few, I, I think. Yes. Days, yeah. You know, but you know, certainly in a certain time, the whole point of going to see particular kinds of films the conversations you'd have with your friends afterwards really you know and i think kind of you know this was a great conversation and the f- kind of the film fed it and it kind of mm. you know make me um confirmed my initial view. Mm. <laughs>
2: better for you the second time though uh yes it was actually um i when i saw it the first time um i really enjoyed it i did think it was a little long mm. um whereas when i saw it this time um because I was aware that you know much like the the, the actors I had to bring my A-game you know as a viewer (laughs) Um, and yeah you know it's just every shot has multiple things going on every scene I thought it was great Um, I've made a Commitments to see another film a second time on Thursday with a friend which know. one is that and I'm not looking forward to seeing The Crimes of Grindelwald again
0: really?
1: <laughs> so, anyway, so there is um, I'm not surprised there yeah. so see uh, we'll have to get our podcast we recorded our podcast on, on that earlier so we'll have to get that out so you can yeah. find interesting things to look for <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
2: this has been yeah really really enjoyed it really enjoyed um, recording this as well it's been good fun thank you
0: yeah thanks it. for coming on um, well we watched I want to have you again uh, Lee um, for a different podcast really I kind of you know I'm very curious about what you do and also just the, you know the general question of what you know what does a film producer do Mm. so I think I'd like to bring you out again to have you know a general conversation on on that sure um, and on what you've been doing actually which I really find very fascinating um, but in the meantime thank you very much for joining us today thank you uh, thanks we you are... for
1: listening we're eavesdropping at the movies um, we're on uh, iTunes uh, YouTube and SoundCloud uh, Twitter and Facebook and eavesdropping at the movies.com. Lee, um, where can you be found and, and
2: your uh, production and so on? Uh, So, thank you. My company is Vermillion Films. Um, we are based in Birmingham. We mostly produce um, commercials and uh, branded content and stuff. But I was exec producer on a documentary called War of Words, which was on release last last Monday. It's on iTunes. It's four ninety nine. Uh, it was number six in the documentary charts. I was just and, going and to the, say that. Yeah, and, <laughs> then, um, it's it's. it's it's gone up the hit parade. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, it's about the uh, battle rap scene in the UK, uh, working with um, uh, the league don't flop uh, artists such as Blizzard and Mark Grist, Um And it's 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 genuinely
0: it's it's really good. Okay, well we look forward to seeing we'll it.
1: Have
0: to do very... a podcast on it. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. All righty. Uh...